When this is over, try to stay at least 10 feet from Al. That way you won't get hit by the first burst. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whoop No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back, Married with Children Podcast listeners. Oh boy. Sorry guys, I'm a little tired because I have been editing my last podcast front and it I actually got it down from eight hours to three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for about seven of those hours, we forgot the microphones were on. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, it's season nine, episode 23, written by Kim Weipskopf and David Castro, and directed by one of our favorites, Jerry Cohen. Its original air date was April 30th, 1995. Guest starring Harold Sylvester as Griff. E.E. E. Bell as Bob Rooney, Tom McLeister as Ike, Tom Henschel as Marshall, Miles Ariola as Devin, Jennifer Eccles as Gwen, Shay Marks as Colleen, Wanda Acuna as Babette, Vinay Aero Arco something as Eileen, Don Eason as Darlene, and Mark Boland as Alderman, and Elisha Choice as Justine. So we've got a lot of guest stars. Yes, in this infamous episode, and infamous is more than famous. You know, famous is famous, but infamous is more than famous. (laughs) Al and uh, Kelly decide to make a shoe video so Al can get more attention. But it ends up causing a big stir with the National Endowment for the Arts. It's Lights, Camera, Bikinis, Action, when Al directs his first movie. Thanks for signing my inner thigh, Mr. Bundy. On a brand new Married with Children. Then, the cast looks back at some of the show's most outrageous moments. You sure you don't want the redhead for your intergalactic zoo? My Favorite Married, part of a special full-hour Sunday. This is a funny, funny episode we are going to be talking about. Pump Fiction, the ultimate title to a porno, which... Al might actually be shooting at the end of this episode, if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> when, though, when that when that woman Stephen walks in and is like, and uh, Griff says, "Hey, we're closed," and she looks over at all these models, and the camera's like right down, and huh, that's exactly what I would be thinking that they're shooting in there. That's where the, that's where the endowment <laughs> went. First off, listeners, drink every time the word shoe is used in any way. And uh, Shios. Uh, <laughs> she- <laughs> I laughed out loud uh, at that. I'm not going to lie. You know what? Uh, so, Stephen, I told you uh, off the air um, a couple days ago that I one of my little gripes at the beginning was that they didn't get more clever with footwear-related puns, that they just stuck with shoes. It's one of those jokes where first it's not funny, then it's funny, then it's not funny, but the more you do it, it's funny again. That's what this shoe thing. By the end of it, I was actually enjoying how many times they were saying the the word shoes. So they got me. Okay, well, Pump Fiction, as, as you could possibly, anybody could possibly imagine is a reference to the 1994 American crime film 
Pulp Fiction, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, who conceived it with Roger Avery, starring John Travolta, Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson. Uh, I'll uh, I'll beep no, that out. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> okay. Bruce Willis, Tim Roth, Ving Rhames, and Uma Thurman. It tells several stories of criminals in Los Angeles, and the title refers to pulp magazines and hard-boiled crime novels popular during the mid-20th century, known for their graphic violence and punchy dialogue. Uh, you've ever uh, seen the movies? Yes, I have. Uh, and just to be honest, I'm not a big Quentin Tarantino fan. I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was as great as everyone else painted it to be. And I'm not knocking Tarantino. His movies just didn't connect with me. Mm, it's totally fine. I discovered it at the perfect age. A jaded little uh, 20-year-old who was uh, trying <clears throat> substances, possibly for the first time. <laughs> uh, liquid substances, listeners. Liquid substances. And I was at a friend's house, and it was like 3 in the morning. And I kind of woke up after having a little too much liquid substances. And this movie was playing. And I think it was the end of the diner scene. Now, listeners, if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, it is not in order. I didn't know that. So I'm trying to make heads and effing tails of what's going on. I watched the whole movie and didn't understand anything. Because I came in, like, about 25 minutes into it. Didn't get it was jumping back and forth. So I and so I I went home and I watched it again, hung over and I in and a headache induced kind of like rage. I was like, that was amazing. Oh. So if you haven't seen it, listeners, it's worth a watch. But what's even more worth a watch was this episode because man, do we get a nice applaud from Bud when he walks in. <laughs> Come on. Hi, Bud. How was work? Oh, you know the yellow line on the floor of the vehicle services office that takes you from the eye test to the written test to the road test? I like that line. <laughs> well, last week my boss hired his nephew to repaint it. That sounds easy. Yeah, sure. For those of us who aren't 20 minutes out of rehab. <laughs> the Blue Meister, however decided to paint his line straight from the front door right to automatic renewals. <laughs> I just hope we caught it before it caused any real damage. And today on the Eisenhower Expressway, there was a 78-car pileup caused by a five-year-old manning a cement mixer. <laughs> the driver, who was identified only as Timmy, was not arrested because he had a valid driver's license. <laughs> and did you notice something uh, when you walked in like that? I noticed that basically, if you look at it, he's uh, coming in like Al with a similar attire, you know. Oh, you saw that too? Yeah. Okay. And, and Al's got a short tie later, uh, and Bud's got a long tie. It's, yeah. They're like caricatures of each other yeah. in a weird way. And real quick, because Bud mentions about how the owner let his, I forget, his kid or his uh, nephew or something like that draw a line. And so people were bypassing, like getting the, uh, the the test or something. I mean, the written test. I love that line. Yeah. Oh yeah, Peggy loves that line. <laughs> but the thing is, it reminds me, like, right? You know, there have been, uh, you know, I teach dr kids driving uh, part time, and <laughs> during the summer it's a full time job. And 
Well, our system here in Oklahoma is called the Department of Safety, not the DMV, but uh, it's going through a big, it, it's screwed up right now big time. It started with the pandemic and they just don't have enough workers and people are desperate to get their permits and to get their licenses, but they can't get in for tests because they're backed up for 60 days, every one of them. They don't have enough. You got five-year-olds and dogs getting licenses out there? Yeah. And actually, there have been cases of that happening in other states. Uh, it was more about uh, 30, 20 years ago when pe- <laughs> pe- people who are unqualified getting a driver's license. Uh, I mean, that's probably where Stevie Wonder got his driver's license. <laughs> the, oh, <laughs> my goodness. Um, you know what, Stephen? Before, uh, before we go any forward, um, I just thought of this. Listeners, you probably know we go chronologically, but we might do a little Pulp Fiction-y today just because the B-plot, if you call it one, of Bud and his screw-ups at work is so small compared to the overall shoe work that's going on, if you will. Um, They took all the other good puns. I thought we could just talk right now about this whole, like, driver's ed thing Mm -hmm. because I was legit thinking about you, Stephen, and it's a funny funny joke when they go back to it later at the end of the episode yeah with bud sitting there putting his fingers to his lips as the uh as the as the news report goes i'm just thinking i can imagine you steve just going like oh crap it's happened again <laughs> yeah i probably would have uh i loved it you know he they turned when the tv's on and today on the eisenhower expressway there was a 78 car pileup caused by a five-year-old manning a cement mixer and you need special licenses to operate that stuff, even back in the 90s when this took place. And that that's Interstate 290, I-290. That's the auxiliary interstate that runs westward from Chicago, from the Chicago Loop. And the portion of the I-290 from I-294 to east is officially called the Dwight D. Eisenhower Expressway. Wait a minute. Oh, that's why. Yeah, okay. Eisenhower Eisenhower. I oh, Jesus. I thought I was interstate. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is, but like... <laughs> well, it stands for both now. <laughs> nice. Very, very nice. I mean, hey, you know what? That's a legacy for you. That is a legacy. Mm-hmm. I've driven down a lot of his legacy lately. Let's see. Don't you worry, listeners. That five-year-old and everything... He was not arrested because he had a valid driver's license, <laughs> which I don't think that's how that works. No, it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> but then, don't do that, yeah. listeners. You will get arrested. <laughs> and then later, what was it? They we forgot the exact context because it wasn't in the notes. But uh... oh, you didn't. I was scrolling through trying to find it in the <laughs> notes. Okay, so well, I remember the basic bit of it. All right, so uh, it cuts with. Um, so weird cuts in this episode too just to throw it out mm-hmm. uh it cuts to the family sitting um and what listening to the news bud is sitting next to peggy on the couch feet up on the table and also you just hear another breaking news another tragic accident happened when and as she's saying this bud just takes you guys gotta see it you have to watch this episode listeners he just takes his thumb and his index finger puts them together and puts them to his lips and kind of sinks lower into the couch as the uh just just he says like please please don't please don't and uh, it's uh i believe it was a seven or eight year old 
and dog each in a car yeah. and drove and caused a uh, pileup, I think, yeah, something like in that. downtown. And the collie and the child were neither were arrested because they both had valid driver's licenses. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So now yeah. a dog got it. It just... <laughs> And everybody just turns and looks directly at Bud. All right, so after we learn about Bud's silly future at the DMV and how that's going, Al enters. Did you see the horrible news? Yeah, a 78-car pileup. No, not that news. Shoe news. <laughs> shoe news is the only publication that reaches the entire shoe community. Well, that and Biggins. <laughs> look, Luke Ventura got his name and his picture in it. Who's Luke Ventura? Oh, some guy used to work with me over at Gary's Shoes. He was always sucking up to the boss and brown-nosing. He worked overtime, he was polite to the customers, and he actually sold a shoe from time to time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but look at the luck the SOB is having. Peg, that should be my picture in there. <laughs> and he is in a huff because he is reading... I'm a sucker for fake newspapers, Stephen, yeah. and this is a great one. Shoe news. <laughs> and who's on the cover? But Luke Ventura. Hey, the day Luke Ventura can't help a friend, that's the day he's got something better to do. <laughs> you remember Luke Ventura, right? Yes, Steve? I do. He was the original like sidekick for Al in the shoe store. He was uh, single. And he was always, like, flaunting his singleness before Al. And he was kind of a schmuck. And in all honesty, when he left, I know he and... I think it was Moy didn't get along, or either he... Or maybe it was... Um, oh, God, I can't think of the other creator. Levitt. Maybe it was Levitt he didn't get along with. But the thing is, I don't think he had anything to show that much. I thought... Yeah, I, it, I think they had plans for him. That he just wasn't, uh, he wasn't delivering. Kind of like Tom Arnold's character in Roseanne. Well, you see, with Luke, what I'm getting at is they never, I don't think they had the time to because they had all these characters in it. And I think it was just too many. You know, you had the kids, you had Peg and Al, you got Steve and Marcy, now we've got, and then we want to put in Luke in there. It's kind of like how Star Trek The Next Generation started out. I always thought they had too many characters, and it did get whittled down. Once Tasha left, or Denise Crosby, and the guy who played Wesley, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. And then in the movies, you know, many of them were underused, underutilized, and, you know, that's just happens sometimes in a TV sitcom. Of course, then you have the infamous Chuck Cunningham disappearing, as well as Judy Winslow and Family Matters. Oh, so. I, wait, okay, so I know... Uh, <laughs> I know Cunning, Chuck Cunningham uh, walked up the stairs, never to be heard from again. How did the other one vanish from Family Matters? They just wrote her out. It was like like what they did with Seven on Married with Children, you know. Yeah, I mean, but like what? But like, did they even have? 
the Happy Days one's so infamous because they literally just never mention him again. Uh, there's usually nope. something he went. It's so sad about your brother. He just ran away, or like there's got to be something to write them out. Was there uh, another chilling thing like that in Family Matters? No, it wasn't that. They just she was dropped from the script. Of course, Tilma Hopkins was dropped from the script, I believe, too. Well, it's what they do with Seven, pretty much, You too. know, and, and I didn't like that. Like, I find that very cold and insulting. First, it's insulting to me, an audience member, and it's insulting to the actor who and the character, and just insulting to the whole craft of, of screenwriting. And it's a sitcom. It's not like you're making, like, a freaking play here. I mean, I guess... This is how... Are, but. Yeah, this is how they, should, they could have retconned Seven very easily. Bring back Ida Mae and I forget her husband's name for just a, a, a minute and say, we need to take him back. What for? Well, we claim to have seven dependents on our income taxes and we forgot we can't claim him, so we want him back now. You know, something like that, you know. On second thought, it should, should have been Ida Mae or Linda Blair because... I can't stand Bob Catgold. <laughs> uh, you know what? I I I understand why you can't stand him, but he popped up in a lot of Disney movies when I was a kid, and that voice is just makes me happy when I hear it. <laughs> so I, I get, but I understand it. It is like you know nails on a chalkboard. But yeah, Luke Luke Ventura did wait. So just so listeners can like remember exactly Luke Ventura, wasn't he the guy who Al went over to his house, and I believe her name was Cherry. Yes, because Luke had picked up a couple of stewardesses. Anyway, so she's there and she tempts him to uh, cheat, and this is the first time when Al resists temptation. He has to resist it, I think, two or three other times throughout the series, but he remained faithful to his wife. That's it right there. I think that's the—I just knew this guy wasn't going to last, and I was doing a full watch of the show. I had never seen the whole show before, so they pitched Luke as this, you know, the work buddy who's going to be, you know— I mean, Al's got the family, and you got Jefferson and Marcy. Well— uh, you you will have you'll have the you'll have the Darcys at one point, and then at work you've got Luke, who's going to be you know the 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 foil and the 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 runner for gags around Al, but that gr- dirty scene, and it was kind of gross, like where you have Luke bringing these girls in and being like, yeah, I got you something here, Al. Just stay. Fool around. It's hot. Now, if they were, if if it was him, like, going to a party or he was, he invited Al to this place and there were already a bunch of the girls living there and they wanted him and Al, then that makes Luke less, I don't know, like, less the devil complicit to, you know, 90s America. And I think I think that might I think the fact that it was Luke's house and he orchestrated all this I think that turned a lot of people off. There's a grossness that Married with Children doesn't go down too much, and that that's kind of gritty. Well, you see, and the thing is too, when uh, they refer to him, Bud can't remember him. Peg actually sticks up for him, although she hated him 
because he she comments well he worked overtime he was polite to the customers and he actually sold shoes from time to time it's kind of weird that bud doesn't remember him. of course bud didn't remember uh, steve rhodes when he returned mm-hmm. so yeah well yeah. i mean they don't and, eat so it's <laughs> bad bad memory bad brain development so anyway then the next section then we have kelly come in and she has got a problem down at the Larry Stort School of Acting. Merging with the Slappy White School of Acting? Oh, bud, you're home. I didn't see your big wheels parked out in the driveway. Anyway, Larry gave us this great assignment. I get to make a movie. Hmm. Do the words, does Dallas appear anywhere in the title? Aren't you late for your nightly lurk around the newsstand or something? Anyway, Larry says that it's as good to be behind as well as in front. (laughs) Of the camera. But I can't start my movie until I have an idea. Hey, Daddy, do you know anything? I know that Luke Ventura's in Shoe News and I'm not. I should be there and he should be here being your daddy. There's no shot of that, is there, Mom? Come on, Dad, you have to know something else. Pumpkin, I don't have time to know anything else. It's a full-time job just keeping the tears in my head. So now we're a two-job, no-income family. So Kelly walks in carrying the exact type of camera that the director and lead actor of the 30s King Kong film was using. So, like, it... It's a classic. It is a classic, but it's 40 years out of date for them. <laughs> it's, it's like you would not give this Smithsonian-looking camera to a student. No, guess what? You get a camcorder. There you go. Um, but no, it's from the at Larry Storch School of Acting. And but We've been getting a lot of references to Larry Storch this yeah, year. Yeah, that's right. And I cannot remember the Larry Storch thing again. So just for me and any other listener, Stephen, can you regale us with uh, Larry Storch? Well, a little bit about him, but Larry Storch is, and he eventually he will make a guest appearance on Married with Children. Uh, I think within, I can't remember if it's this season or next season, but Larry Storch, Larry Storch was born January 8th, 1923. He is still alive. He is still (laughs) alive. Good for him. Wow. He um, was born in New York City, and he grew up in a tough New York neighborhood. And he was like a wise guy type of a person. And he got his big break with the Kraft Music Hall when he was asked to sub for a a sick Frank Morgan. And he delivered a patent star impersonations. That's what he would do quite often. He would do impersonations. And he also went to TV and he went to the Larry, he had this Larry Storch show, Larry Storch show, the cavalcade of the stars. And of course he eventually got to star in F Troop, which is an, which gets a lot of references on Married with Children. That's probably how they came up with that. And he also did animation of voices like in Tennessee Tuxedo, Underdog, The Pink Panther Show. And 
he got a comic resurgent in the 1980s with the theater. And then he starts to be a reference in Married with Children. And he's been married uh, to the same woman from 1961 until 2003 upon her death. Okay, so the, so the joke being that the Larry Storch had his name, like, uh, just plastered all over the place. And Pud goes, ah, merging with the slappy white school of acting? And, whew, thank you, Internet, because I didn't realize, but, quote, slappy, unquote, white, from September 27, 1921 to November 7, 1995, was an American comedian and actor. He worked with Red Fox on the Chitlin circuit of stand-up comedy during the 1950s and 60s. He appeared on the television shows of Sanford and Son as Melvin. There ain't nothing good on after the fight, is it, Dale Lamar? Let's turn this thing off. Ain't nothing on. It is a horror movie on later, Melvin. Huh? Yeah. The creature with the big mouth. <laughs> this here prehistoric monster invades the city of Washington, D.C. and eats up the United States Senate. Was that the one with Anne Margaret? <laughs> no, this is with Lonnie Hiroshaki. It was made in Japan. Oh, they really know how to make those horror movies, those Japanese. You know all those Godzilla movies? They were all made in Japan. I know that, Melvin. I'm not exactly stupid, you know. You know, I wish they'd do a Godzilla movie with a black man, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I never really thought about it. Well, they couldn't have done it a few years ago, but I better be all right to do it today. You know, show a black man getting the best of the monster for a change. <laughs> well, I guess one of the reasons that we've never seen that, Melvin, is because they don't have too many black people over in Japan. Well, that's okay. Send one over there. <laughs> Send Sammy Davis. <laughs> Make it Godzilla meets Sammy Davis. <laughs> Sammy works everywhere. And that's my mama, Blossom, and Sybil, and in the films Mr. Saturday Night and Amazon Women on the Moon. The only thing out of all of that that I read, listeners, that I even slightly got a reference from is, for me personally, is Amazon Woman on the Moon, which the show I love, Futurama, made an episode titled Amazon Women in the Mood. And uh, it's all about Amazonians on the planet Amazonia, and they gigantic, huge, like, women who have never seen men, and uh, B. Arthur actually guests on that show, who was a golden girl, and we will have a golden girl reference later in the episode. So, see, Stephen? Not a complete tangent. <laughs> and then Kelly has to, of course, retort, because she has to have the last word, and she says, oh, bud, you're home. I didn't see your big wheels parked out in the parking in the driveway. And a big wheel. I had one of these when I was Me a kid. Too. Oh, they're so much fun. The big wheels are a-rolling. Listen to them turn. It's the big wheel sound of power. With speed enough to burn. Roaring. Spinning. Winning! Adjustable seat. You ride low and neat. Look at that big wheel. Roaring. Spinning. 
Winning! It's the Big Wheel with low adjustable seat. Big Wheel by Mark. It's a brand of low riding tricycles made of plastic with a larger front wheel and it was introduced by the Lewis Marks Company in 1969 and manufactured in Girard, Pennsylvania. It was a very popular toy in the 70s in the U.S. because of its low cost and partly consumer groups said it was a safer alternative than the traditional tricycle or bicycle. And it was usually marketed to boys between 8 to 10 years of age. So it had like I said, I had one, and I loved oh, it. Oh, yeah. I lived on a dirt road, and normal trikes would not cut it. And when I discovered the big wheel, I could just fly down the road anywhere. Rocks, gravel, you name it. I was just moving. And uh, probably inspired my love of motorcycles, which, hey, listeners, sneak peek, I should have my motorcycle license by the end of the summer. Vroom, vroom, I'm going to be riding. It's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, the big wheel, a lot of fun. But anyway, but when Kelly comes in, she has a dilemma. Gotta find an idea for my movie. Movie? That's it? That'll get me into shoe news. A movie about shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Only I had an idea. (laughs) Only I had a camera. (laughs) If only I had a hammer. She has to create some sort of film. And Al is still stewed about Luke getting onto the uh, shoe news, and he wanted to be on the shoe news. He needed to do something too. And so they're both sitting there talking, and you know, they obviously have an answer because both of their elbows are on the, the camera. You know, what can I make a movie about, says Kelly. And Al is like, what could I do to get on shoe news? And I kind of noticed this too. Something I wanted to bring up in my personal notes that I took when I watched this. And that is, uh, it seems like Al has become dumber over the years. He wasn't such a dumbass at the beginning. He was just a little gruff. Kind of like Homer Simpson, I guess you could say. He went through the same evolution. But anyway, I just thought it seems like he didn't seem to be as dumb. I mean, even in, you know, seasons like uh, 3 to 5, you know, he wasn't that dumb. He was... You know, more like a wrong, he- wrong-headed person. He just was a little naive and went things that were stubborn and went about his own way. But you know, over the years, especially the last three or four, I mean, they're making him out to be a real dumbass, and I think that kind of a disservice. It's well, you know, it's funny you say that, Stephen, because I was thinking the same thing. I took that scene a little differently than you did, but you brought up Homer Simpson and. Uh, this episode is 90, 90, 95 or 96? Yes, 95. 95. Okay, well, 95 was uh, season four of the... It's either season four or season five of The Simpsons. Around that time, they were getting a little postmodern with how they were developing their characters, and characters would be as stupid or as smart as they needed to be for the bit that they were doing. And I think Mary mm-hmm. with Children, since... They're both Fox productions. They probably were feeding off of each other a little bit because this silly, like, I need an idea. I just need a way to, like, tell my story about shoes. If only there we had something. If only I had this. And they're standing right next to each other. And you're right. Al just even puts this. It's a Looney Tunes gag. Like, and, of course, yes. 
honestly, it was working for me. And by the way, it, it also has the other line that I had as a backup. If you didn't like my choice for the opening line earlier, Stephen, was uh, mm-hmm. don't talk to me right now. Kelly, I got a full time job trying to keep the tears in my head that. <laughs> oh, that spoke to me over the past few days. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's just, yeah, Al is normally not this stupid, but it they both need, he needs to like get to Kelly level of stupidity to make this uh, bit work. And it works. So. Oh, wait, actually before that, um, while, while Kelly is, actually while Kelly was uh, pitching off ideas, um, she needs a movie, but goes into the words, does Dallas appear anywhere in the title? Uh, referencing the, again, porn, 1978 porn movie, Debbie Does Dallas. I swear to God, Stephen, I really think they wanted to make the uh, episode Al uses, eventually uses some of this money to make a porno, but they just couldn't say porn because of FCC reasons. But it really, they're, they're like with Pump Fiction, which totally sounds like a porno title, and now referencing to Debbie Does Dallas, or specifically the 1978 um, film starring, um, yeah, starring, uh, I just wanted to read some of the people in this uh, cast because here's their actual names. Bambi Woods as Debbie Denton, Christy Ford as Roberta, Robin Bird as Mrs. Hardwick, Robert Kerman as Mr. Greenfield, and Ricky O'Neill as Ricky. <laughs> it's just oh, it's it's just so fun to like. So obviously another pun on what Kelly would like to do, where he thinks Kelly's gonna be doing. Maybe Kelly does Carson City. <laughs> Kelly does Connecticut. Kelly does California. Kelly does America. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Beavis and Butthead did America. Oh, man. <laughs> the good stand up straight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Anyway, then at the end there, there were a couple of small references. Peg says, now we're a two-job, no-income family. And that was the title of an actual episode back in season three. 14 it was called a three job no income family and that's when al got a had to get a third job as a burger person to pay off the bills and he, first he was trying to out earn peg he was a patty bright girl but they didn't know that uh, she was her only customer so she was getting these commissions but owed back a lot more than those commissions you see pookie <laughs> since you're the only one buying your cosmetics you're not really making any money Oh, yes, I am. They send me checks. Ah, yes, but you send them much bigger ones. <laughs> and that's what we call in the world of business sending your husband rocketing to the poorhouse. <laughs> Why didn't you sell any makeup, Peg? Well, like I told the girls, it's not very good. <laughs> well, then why did you keep buying it? Because that's how I make my money. <laughs> And she also says, if I only had a hammer. Mm-hmm. And that's a season six, episode three, when Al builds his new room. Something like With that. With his dad's magic hammer. Daddy, I did it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good continuity. Uh, we got Luke Ventura. We've got the references to two other episodes. Um, I the I like the Mary with Children's embracing their history. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
And people like self-references things like that. Even outside references. I think I brought this up before. I was a big Third Rock from the Sun uh, fan when it was on. You know, John Lithgow. Oh, yeah. And, Huge fan of that. Yeah. Anyway, there's a scene when they meet the big giant head, who's played by William Shatner. <laughs> they meet him at the airport, and they ask him, How is your flight commander? And he says, It was horrible. I could have sworn I saw a man on the wing of that plane. Oh, God. And then John Lithgow says... The same thing happened to me. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! Because he played, oh. yeah, he played the character in the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, oh. that's one of my favorite in joke references of all time. Uh, Fifteen all right. years later, you made that joke have another dimension because I knew about the William Shatner from the Twilight thing, but I I've never seen the Twilight Zone movie, so I for I didn't know about the John Lithgow or Lithgow. He played the exact yeah. He played the same character. It was just in the. <laughs> more contemporary thing you know that's that whole section was just totally unbelievable i mean how does john lithgow have all that leg room in a an airliner <laughs> anyway <laughs> moving along then they ben and kelly also want to get entered into the um hammond indiana film festival so alan kelly actually made a movie about shoes yeah, but they prefer to call it a shoe-cumentary. <laughs> kind of worried about Kelly, though. I mean, how is she going to get to the next level at the Larry Storch School if she doesn't pass this assignment? The Larry Storch School has a next level? Mm -hmm. Yeah, next year is acting from the waist up. <laughs> Great news, Peg. We just edited our film. We cut it from eight hours to a clean three and a half minutes. Well, seven of those hours we didn't know the camera was on, so... Al, may I speak with you in private, please? Is this about your rose bushes? Because if it is, I heard a dog barking. Not that. How could you use your own daughter to make a stupid movie about shoes? Excuse me, Mrs. Darcy, but our shoe movie is not stupid. It is genius. We even entered it into the Hammond, Indiana Film Festival. We're gonna be the biggest showbiz family since Betty and Barry White. Wait a minute, that film festival is sponsored by the National Endowment for the Arts. They're offering $10,000 to the best film, which will be ours. Al, those grants were intended for starving and destitute artists. Well, we are starving. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not a destitute. I've never taken money for... Guard the film content. Look, Al, I'll grant you the NEA has done some silly things in the past, but no way, no how, will they accept a ridiculous movie about shoes. Indiana is just, you know, just the place to go for film festivals, which I kind of want to start attending, Stephen. Ever since the pandemic, I've been, like, really just following people like movie stuff on Twitter. And a lot of people are talking about these different film festivals that I never knew about. So I might have to be checking some of these out, but yeah, uh, film. So what this whole thing is, uh, so this thing might be fake, but it might be coming out of like the actual Hammond horror film festival that started. Uh, there was, there was an indie film festival that was going on in 1992 in Indiana around that time. So that might be where they got the idea. And basically, it is a festival where you submit. Usually, uh, filmmakers will submit like a 
a little five minute thing um, and uh, an entrance fee, uh, depending on how big the film festival is. Sometimes you don't even have to uh, really get chosen. Usually it's a, oh, you're in. And you uh, audience members pay money for passes. And then for usually a sometimes a weekend, sometimes four days, depending on how big it is, they will have these festivals where people from all around, and again, depending on how big it is, uh, film critics, uh, scouts from, yeah, scouts from studios, people go there to see the movies. And it's meant to, as Marcy says, feed starving artists or give people who are not in the biz a chance to be seen. Marcy doesn't think it's going to be made. So Al and Kelly, they're going to go out and make this movie. And Kelly ends this scene with, we're going to be the biggest show biz family since Betty and Barry White. <laughs> oh, boy. That's a couple I would love to like see. <laughs> um, but, yes, Betty White, our golden girl, I told you there's a reference to one of them, is a, is a knock on wood one of our oldest and most greatest actors alive. And she has a huge career spanning 80 years. Not just her life, her career. She's regarded as a pioneer of television. She was one of the first women to exert control, both in front and behind the camera. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's exactly what Kelly said. Her teacher told yeah. her to do. <laughs> you should have both talent. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, listeners, what I'm laughing at is, um, if you haven't seen the episode, Kelly goes, the dir- my teacher says you need to have talent both in front and behind. The camera, you jerks. Okay, but uh, Betty White has a lot. And you know what? She probably had control in other areas, too, I'm sure. And is recognized. She's also recognized as the first woman to produce a sitcom, Life with Elizabeth. which I have to see now, which contributed to her receiving the honorary title Mayor of Hollywood in 1955. White is known for her award-winning roles as Sue Ann Nevins on the Marywood Tyler Moore Show. She's incredible in that. And Rose Nyland on The Golden Girls. Um, the Writers Guild of America has included both sitcoms in its list of 101 best written television series of all time. And Elka Ostrovsky on Hot in Cleveland, a staple uh, panelist of American game shows such as Password, Match Game, Tattletales, The Hollywood Squares, and The 25,000 Pyramid, White has been dubbed the first lady of game shows and became the first woman to receive an Emmy Award for Outstanding Game Show Host in 1983 and for the show Just Men. And she's also known for her appearance on Boston Legal, The Carol Burnett Show, and Saturday Night Live. And she continued her acting in movies all the way up into 2008 with the, one of the last movies I saw her in where she had like a 
probably not the best role, but the proposal with Sandra Bullock and Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds. She plays the... Uh, I forgot she was yeah, in Yeah, she does a not very sensitive portrayal of a Native American kind of dance thing. However, most people hate this, but I love that she sings uh, to the window, to the walls, to sweat trips down my... Yeah, like just hearing she has embraced this. I'm an old lady and I'm going to say things to make young people uncomfortable. And I love that. <laughs> you know, some of this stuff I didn't know about her. She was an ama- She is an amazing woman. Yeah. And then there's Barry White, who was referred to. He was born September 12th, 1944, and he passed on, wow, July 4th, 2003. Anyway, he was an American singer and songwriter, musician, record producer, and composer. A two-time Grammy Award winner, he was known for his distinctive bass baritone voice and a romantic image. His best success came in the 70s as a solo singer with the Love Unlimited Orchestra, crafting many enduring soul funk and disco songs his two biggest hits include you're the first the last my everything and can't get enough of you babe during the course of his career in the music business white achieved 112 gold albums worldwide 41 of which were also attained platinum status he had 20 gold and 10 platinum singles with a worldwide record sales in excess of 100 million records and is one of the best-selling music artists of all time. And of course, I first got to know him through The Simpsons as well. He made a guest star spot on it. Yeah, around this time, actually, I, I was going to bring that up, Stephen. You caught you caught that before I could. Um, yeah, he was on the um, episode where they're all clubbing snakes. Wacky, Wacky day. day, yeah. Which has another connotation to it, but I won't get into that right you now. You know what? I never understood why my, my, my parents were upset with me quoting that episode at, like, seven years old. But now I get it. Uh, but, like, yeah. I love the sexy slip of a lady snake. Oh, baby. But, yeah, that's how I knew Barry White. I was introducing him that way. So I just find it funny that, you know, we were seeing some crisscross here. I guess he was just tagging around the Fox studio around this time. But Marcy notices something about this Hammond Film Festival that we thought existed. She says that film festival is sponsored by the National Endowment for the Arts. Yes. Thousands came when the Vietnam Veterans Memorial was dedicated in 1982. Never before in the history of this country had people been so moved by a work of art. The National Endowment for the Arts sponsored a design competition that led to Maya Lin's creation of a memorial we can never forget. Art reaches all of us. Let's keep it that way. This is Jody Foster. Join with me to celebrate 30 years of the National Endowment for the Arts. Oh, boy. Yes. And that was some controversy. Why don't you tell us about the controversy here? Oh, yes, Stephen. And it connects to uh, my little... This is a part two of my little uh, film festival thing. So film festivals are not all sponsored by the National Endowment of the Arts, but some are. And... Basically, it is an independent agency of the United States government that offers support and funding for projects exhibiting artistic excellence. It was created by the Act of the U.S. Congress in 1965 as an independent agency, um, and the 1994 midterm elections cleared the way for the House Speaker, Newt Gingrich, to lead a renewed attack on the NEA. Gingrich had called for the NEA to be eliminated, completely along with the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting? 
Uh, while some in Congress attacked the funding of controversial artists, others argued the endowment was wasteful and elitist. There's some, there's some good argument there. Um, however, despite massive budget cutbacks and the end of grants to individual artists, Gingrich ultimately failed in his push to eliminate the endowment. So, yeah, the endowment is basically it gives mo- it funds these things. Um, one of the yeah. one of the the American um, Film Association, the AFA, they are one of the biggest still they still get money from the uh whatever the nea is now and if anybody's a fan of david lynch um and the movie Eraserhead, that is an afa movie sponsored by the national endowment of the arts he asked them for money showed a little bit of what he could do and they gave him ten thousand uh no they gave him fifty thousand dollars and he had to produce something in one year. And guys, making movies is expensive. And sometimes you don't make anything back. And if this is a student film, if this is a film paid for by the NEA or the AFA, you can now make your movie without worries about profit, uh, meeting goals, meeting this. You just have this money, spend it in whatever ways, and maybe you'll make something great. Maybe you won't. David Lynch made one of the greatest student films of all time, and some people don't, but it's a really good thing, and I think we need more of it out here. Just saying. That's my own personal thing. Well, we could talk about that privately, because I kind of disagree with it, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) However. All right. Now, let's go to our next section, which is, what? (laughs) I think this is one of the great highlights of this one. (laughs) When they show up in the auditorium to see the movie. (laughs) And now, ladies and gentlemen, the world premiere of Shoes. (laughs) Shoes is a taut and gripping film in the Warhol tradition. Oh, police! <laughs> Will the gentleman in the third row please sit down and start heckling? Now you've done it. Now you've gone and ticked off my husband. <laughs> First of all, uh, the guy who introduces it is Tom Henschel. Born November 1st, 1951. In the USA as Tom Henschel, he is an actor known for Battle Beyond the Stars, 1980, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, 1990, and Saint Elsewhere, 1982, and on this episode, (laughs) Children, 1995. That is all, uh, (laughs) that is all I got on the guy. Well, that's all right, because he has a great line in here. And I loved it when uh, Marcy first is yelling, boo, boo, when he's trying to introduce shoes. And then they start to show it, and she gets up and starts yelling again. And he says, will the young man in the front row please sit down? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's It's so amazing. And you got Jefferson just flirting up front with this curl like right behind him and I love Marcy just with her head down she's like now nah, you've done it you've made my husband mad Jefferson 
And he's clueless. I, Jefferson he's, is clueless. He's flirting at that moment. It's so funny as hell. Like, they're cramming so many good jokes into this. But the best joke of all is this film. Oh, my God, Stephen. I got words about this film. <laughs> Millions of years ago, <laughs> man emerged from the ocean and took his first steps on dry land. of course, was to escape from women and other blood-sucking sea creatures. <laughs> you know, you can read his lips. You can tell exactly what he's saying. Move the camera back back pumpkin move back because she's got it right up there on his face and there are all these shots and bud bundy who didn't help or something like oh, that oh it's beautiful <laughs> shios shoes remember e before o except before e i e i o and uh, bud is like she owes and Kelly does this great thing E before O except after E-I-E-I-O oh boy <laughs> totally messed up the rule of grammar I before E except after C except pronounced like, except uh, pronounced like way like neighbor in the, in way god I hate it <laughs> and, but then you know that was just a play off of the old McDonald have farm it's just Kelly uh, and her wonderful malapropisms not many people know this, and this is the first time I'll say it out loud on an air somewhere, but I'm in the middle of creating my own little project that's going to have to do with black and white movies. So I've been watching a lot of black and white stuff in my spare time and just doing like my own little mini researches and stuff. This made me laugh so much just because of the... So many good homages. We've got a Les Miserable reference. We have Citizen Kane. We've got a little bit of David Lynch. And another... Just so many funny things that they do with the titles, the words, the many ways. The cave people had to put something on their feet. They tried many things. Tried many things. Many things. Many things. What Al tries to use for shoes, sticks, stones, frying pans, blow up dolls. I love Bud cries over, you know, that last one because he's realizing, oh man, they're ruining my dolls there. But they probably had real student filmmakers help, help them do this because it looks very much like a student film. Specifically, the many ways, many ways, many in many ways, it's editing problems because the camera they're using, and I really think they actually got one of those old cameras because it has those old cameras have a little turn thing that literally pulls the uh, the film through the reel. And mm -hmm. you have to, when you cut those reels together, 
uh, that's not a euphemism, uh, listeners. You literally have to, with scissors and special adhesive, cut the frames together and paste them together, both the visual and the audio, and they're separate films. So a lot of times, that's why you have to talk like this in prose with clear spaces because if you don't do that you're gonna have many way like that kind of talk and editing like i'm i'm making this up i'm not actually this is not a flub of the audio recording but it's just small little details that made me really love this little short film they make and then one day legend has it the great shoe man in the sky who once scored four touchdowns in a single game you know, we kind of forgot something during the auditorium when they watched the movie is that when it was over, Marcy was expecting people to start throwing things and she had a helmet on. Oh, even. yeah, Jefferson and, had it too. Yeah, but they erupt into applause. <laughs> yeah. When this is over, try to stay at least 10 feet from Al. That way you won't get hit by the first burst. <laughs> Some claim there was no great shoe man in the sky. Others say the answer won't be known until the other shoe drops. by saying rosebud <laughs> so two big belly laps one was when shias popped up because i didn't re- i'm so glad uh bud said shias because i truly it didn't look like a, i just read shoes but it was spelled wrong i didn't read shias so i'm glad someone said it out loud or i would have never said it but when he's like shias i belly laughed the other belly laugh was just because I'm just enthralled by this short, this short film. And when it ends with Al going, Rosebud, just I, dro- I dropped my beer, Stephen, because like, I was laughing so much. And so that is the closing line, of the last line spoken by uh, Charles Foster Kane in this little tiny movie. Maybe you heard about it. Maybe you haven't called Citizen Kane. And it was the last words said where he drops this snowball and the whole movie is about trying to figure out what uh, this man, Charles Foster Kane, who's the greatest billionaire, everything, take every billionaire and philanthropist you ever know, put them all together, you got this mythical Charles Foster Kane. And spoiler alert right now, Paul, like skip this ahead 10 seconds, it was a sled. It was a sled from his childhood for how could one word, one phrase, measure up for an entire uh, meaning of a man's life? boom Go watch the movie now that you skipped that spoiler alert. It's good. <laughs> it's a pretty good movie. Awesome. Simpsons also did a... Simpsons did an episode kind of doing that with Mr. Oh, Burns, too. But Mr. Anyway. Burns is Charles... I yeah. am Charles Montgomery Burns. I'm Charles Foster Kane. Yeah, like, there... I when I finally watched Charles Citizen Kane about two years ago, 
I was just literally, I said it maybe like 10 or 15 times throughout the movie. We have to go back to the Bundy household because after the film is over, we go back there. They won? She asked the movie actually won? Yep, first place. The NEA actually gave Alan Kelly a check for $10,000. This is an outrage. That money could have gone for something much more useful, like, like jailing the homeless. <laughs> well, it's not like it's theirs to waste. They have to use the money they won to make another movie. Another one? <laughs> yeah. But of course, Al didn't realize that till he'd spent $1,000 on beer. <laughs> As Al walks in, he has like these people following him wanting his autograph. Thanks for signing my inner thigh, Mr. Bundy. Now, now Babette, we promise not to speak of such things in front of Les Miserables. And Wanda Acuna is uh, the one who asked him for his autograph. I think she made a reference to, would you autograph my thigh? Yes. And <laughs> Pe Peggy is really upset and makes some sort of snide remark. And uh, Al says, now, Babette, we promise not to speak of such things in front of Les Miserables. Okay. I, I never could say, <laughs> yeah. A little bit about Wanda Acuna. She only has 27 credits. But uh, she was born May 13th, 1966. And she did work on Encino Man, Chill Factor, and The Assault, just to name a few. A few more. Wow. She, she, got, she was in an episode of Monk. And she was also in House of Frankenstein. Wow. It was a TV miniseries. She was in Moesha, L.A. Heat, another... Uh, that was one of those sexy uh, type of uh, thrillers. And then there was Wing Commander in 95. She looks like she had a few spots in The Young and the Rest. She had a fun career. Those are all, like, fun things. I, there's only a couple. Like, I haven't seen Wing Commander or that sexy one that you mentioned. But uh, all the others, I enjoy those. So good for her. Anyway, Les Miserables is a French historical novel by Victor Hugo. Believe it or not, I've never read it. First published in 1862, that is considered one of the greatest novels of the 19th century. It examines the nature of law and grace. The novel elaborates upon the history of France, the architecture and urban design of Paris, politics and moral philosophy, anti-monarchism, which is like against the king, justice, religion, and all of these things in familial love. And it's been popularized. It's had a lot of adaptations. I have seen a couple, at least one movie version of it, television and a musical. As a matter of fact, I think I know it's big and influential. But I've just never have read it, and I find it interesting that Al would use that reference since it's a, a, a French reference. Yeah, um, and uh, <laughs> you know what, listeners? Tell you what, everybody on the Facebook page, if happy all kick in a dollar on the Patreon. Me and Steven will watch the, the musical and do a commentary on it. How about that? And I'll read the book. <laughs> I'll have to be drunk for that one, oh, probably. Absolutely. Yeah, all that digging out of the, out of the uh, prison. Mm. 
Got to be drunk for that. I want to mention one thing that I don't believe is in our notes, and I'm proud of myself for uh, finding this out last night because I'm like, the way Al is dressed is so specific. It had to be something. So I was like racking my brain. I couldn't figure it out. So I was like, oh, screw it. All right, uh, internet, help me out. And I just typed in director's a film director navy hat question mark well he is actually dressed and mockingly so as rob reiner from the from the 1984 american mockumentary film this is spinal tap oh one of the funniest movies ever i love that movie and his pompous ass is sitting in that chair with a freaking navy naval hat on and the ascot stuffed in, and this was height of Robert Rob Reiner, where I'm surprised anybody could see him in that film with how far his head was up his own ass. Hello, my name is Marty DeBerge. I'm a filmmaker. I make a lot of commercials. That little dog that chases the covered wagon underneath the sink, that was mine. In 1966... I went down to Greenwich Village, New York City, to a rock club called the Electric Banana. Don't look for it. It's not there anymore. But that night, I heard a band that, for me, redefined the word rock and roll. I remember being knocked out by their, their exuberance, their raw power, and their punctuality. That band was Britain's now legendary Spinal Tap. 17 years and 15 albums later, Spinal Tap is still going strong, and they've earned a distinguished place in rock history as one of England's loudest bands. So in the late fall of 1982, when I heard that Tap was releasing a new album called Smell the Glove, and was planning their first tour of the United States in almost six years to promote that album, well, needless to say, I jumped at the chance to make the documentary, the, if you will, rockumentary that you're about to see. I wanted to capture the, the sights, the sounds, the smells of a hard-working rock band on the road. And I got that. But I got more. A lot more. But hey, enough of my yakking. What do you say? Let's boogie. Yeah, he's a very talented man. One of my favorite characters from uh, probably my favorite sitcom of all time, All in the Family. And you're right, like that is a oh, it's been so long. I gotta rewatch the spine this is spinal tap. But um yeah, yeah, of course he did have a stinker that came out the year before called North, which is considered one of the worst movies, not that just that he made, but ever. And I have seen it, it's pretty bad. And the thing is when Al was walking in like that, man, it is so rare to see Ed O'Neill wearing jeans on. Oh I head. know. It's so weird. Incredibly rare. Yeah, not even jeans, like dungarees, like the like the good-looking sheets. <laughs> so, the NEA actually gave you $10,000. They did. This is exactly why I'm a Republican. Oh, really? I thought it was because of the drinking and wife-swapping party. That's never been proven. Al... I thought you did this to get into shoe news. Oh, no, Peg. No, this is much bigger than shoe news. See, Peg, all my life, I've always wanted to find something that, that I was good at. 
And the other night, in that theater, <laughs> when I heard the applause, felt the love, I knew then what my true calling would be. Zoo exhibit? <laughs> Cheap and tawdry film. <laughs> and if all goes according to plan, I'll be leaving for Hollywood, where when a guy has a successful film, he leaves the wife. <laughs> Marcy comes in and there's a line in there and she's, she was opposed to all this because he's now getting a grant from the NEA to make another movie and she's upset and she says this is exactly why I'm a Republican <laughs> Al responds oh really I thought it was because of the drinking and wife swapping parties and Marcy gets angry that's never been proven man <laughs> now this is not the first time Marcy has referred to being herself a Republican the last time was in season 7 episode 4 Al on the rocks uh, Bud and Kelly were shoved outside because uh, seven had sneezed, and Peggy was protective. Help us? I can't. I'm a Republican. <laughs> and, and not knocking on Republicans. It's just that, you know, I just thought that was funny, you know, because, you know, it's a stereotype. Mm -hmm. And and we all like the stereotype jokes, and that's what Married with Children is about. Very true. And but there's also a funny line that happened about a minute or two before Al walked in. Uh, listen, there's just so many good lines that they're just, we could not write them all down. Um, Marcy and Peggy are at the table and Peggy's telling Marcy that they're like, she's like, she's like I, Marcy's like, I can't believe it. She us won. And they're like, yeah, they won. And they're actually giving him money to make another one and another movie. And Marcy goes, another one. God, I just love that it really sets up what she hates. She's not being petty. She's not that she doesn't want uh, Al and Kelly to have money. She just literally is like, oh, another one? Couldn't they just spend the money on beer and stupid things? I really don't want to watch another movie. I just, I think that's really funny and probably like an argument that a lot of people sometimes have at these film festivals. We're just like, oh, God they're making another one no <laughs> and then what i thought was this is the thing that really killed me and that's when you know al's talking about the new movie and he tells kelly bring in the storyboard I have these storyboards ready good work pumpkin all right now as you recall the name of our new movie is a day in the life of a shoe salesman Yes, but aren't you going to start with the short cartoon A Day in the Sex Life of a Shoe Salesman? Oh, I'm really going to miss you, Peg. Well, not if I buy a scope. Go ahead, pumpkin. All right. Now, these stick figures represent what you go through in the course of a day. good pumpkin but you know it, it it just doesn't say Al if you shorten that stick there it will <laughs> you know Peg have I told you today how much I love you no Al okay <laughs> see pumpkin what I was saying it, it needs something it's too linear and too straight needs bigness and so kelly brings in this storyboard she reveals it 
and it's stick figures. But if you look at that at the storyboard, it's pretty much the same picture. And this is the day in the life of a shoe salesman. It is exactly, and I mean exactly, if you really pay attention to these drawings. She, uh, it's Al in the shoe store holding his head with, it, with his hands, just like he did in episode six, season 12. So this is how Sinatra felt. He came in, sat down, put his head in his hands, and because Kelly and Bo were spying on him, they thought he was cheating or something. It's exactly the same. Another good self-reference. Whoa, I didn't, I did not see that. And you know what? If, if we can get a screenshot of that later, that might actually have to be the uh, title card for this episode because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I'll see what I can do, but yeah, it's the exact, and it's the same thing, because remember, he was like that for like three hours when uh, Bud and Kelly were spying on him. <laughs> My favorite image. And, and notice, and if you remember that in the uh, in that particular episode, that uh, they were hiding behind the cash register because they realized it's not used very much because it had all that dust and cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um so we're about to it's gonna it's about to be the uh imbd uh trivia time in a little bit guys but before we get there because we got a lot of references coming up in the next like five to ten minutes a day in the life of a shoe salesman peggy responds yes but you aren't gonna start with this short cartoon a short cartoon a day in the sex life of a shoe salesman well that comes from one day in the life of ivan Denisovich is a novel. It's a Nobel Prize winning novel from a Russian writer. Oh, goodness. Alexandra Solzhenitsyn. I screwed. That's why I gave this one to you. Thank you, you Stephen. You're amazing. I'm going to do it. First published in November 1962 in the Soviet literary magazine Novia Mir, Our New World. The story is set in the Soviet labor camp in the 1950s and describes a single day in the life of ordinary prisoner Ivan Denisovich Shushkova. Now they gave him a third name? Oh, uh, Ivan Denisovich Shukov. And then we get a nice uh, Forrest Gump uh, reference, which I didn't get because I wasn't thinking about Forrest Gump being out around this time, but you're, I guess it was. Uh, uh, Al goes about as often as a guy with an IQ of 16 gets to meet a bunch of presidents. I legit did not know what he was talking about. I was like, all right, who's, what senator is he referencing <laughs> or something? I thought it was a po- politicians be stupid joke. Uh, hey. Then we get to go and see how the day in the life of a uh, shoe salesman gets to uh, play out. Well, before we start this, I think we should, like, set up, like, visually this whole thing. Uh, so we got, we, so it's in the shoe, uh, the shoe store, and Al and Kelly are both doing this. I love this because it's so an Al story right here, but Kelly is taking, uh, I believe she's executive producer right now, because that's the role she's having, because she keeps popping up and being like, ah, daddy, daddy, can we just talk right now? Do we really need this scene right here? You know, can we just cut, cut, cut around this? Hmm? 
are we doing this right? Like, it just everything she says sounds like things that exactly might have been being said beyond this uh, in the background to um, to the actual Marywood children actors because she totally is. I'm wondering if she's just lampooning their exact their EP on their own set because she's doing a good job, but she feels like they're, you know. Their vision needs to uh, be, be realized. <laughs> Roundness. <laughs> Fullness. <laughs> Firmness. <laughs> oh, God, I could die right now. <laughs> you would if Mom was here. <laughs> Why do we have to be in bikinis, Mr. Bundy? My dear, I'm not going to lie to you. The integrity of the scene calls for it. <laughs> that and the crew really loves it. Daddy? Yeah, I just finished looking over your rewrite of the script. Now, granted, I'm not here every day, but how often do four women in bikinis just kind of wander on in to buy shoes? About as often as a guy with an IQ of 16 gets to meet a bunch of presidents. <laughs> What's your problem? Daddy, the point is, is that when we did Shias, we were being true to our subject and to ourselves. Now, this is not art. <laughs> I may not know art, but I know what I like. <laughs> Uh, sorry, ma'am, but we're closed. Well, how come they're buying shoes? Well, look at them. <laughs> I see. So if I come back wearing a bikini, you'll sell me some shoes? Ma'am, if you get into a bikini, I'll give you some shoes. <laughs> Deal. Al, <laughs> uh, we gotta hurry. <laughs> All right, now, girls, here is the scene. You're in the shoe store. You're laying down. Why are we laying down? Well, uh, you're tired. <laughs> You've been shopping all day. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> Daddy, what does this have to do with selling shoes? Everything, now go away. <laughs> well, you see, and that's the thing, that because the store is set up, we've got these four beautiful supermodels in there in bikini-like wear on top of that. Oh, yeah, it cuts and, to them in yeah. a weird way with Al, like, shaping his hand, uh, silhouetting, like, one of the lady's breasts. And, like, but it's a weird cut because he's saying something like, we need round and firm and literally 1.5 seconds to black screen. I thought my internet got out, and then it opens to him holding his hands that same way. I guess it was just a bad commercial break. I was watching it on Hulu, so maybe I was wrong, but it was a weird cut. And it opens to these, you're right, these these bikini babes in bikinis. Um, so, yeah, do we want to talk about the girls first, or do we want to uh, bring... Yeah, let's talk about okay. the girls, okay? <laughs> the ladies. Oh, but first, Tyler, we've got to hurry. <laughs> you know, it Talking about Griff, I loved his response. You know, that big woman comes in. She wants to know why they're in bikinis. And he says, they're buying shoes. And then the lady wants to know if uh, 
she can buy shoes and she comes in a bikini and he offers to give them to her. And then his response immediately was, oh, got to hurry. That is, I kid you not, I would rank that as probably in the top three funny lies that Griff delivers. Harold Sylvester does that one perfectly. Um, so, yeah, we're for, so we've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six of them. Uh, they are Jennifer Eccles, Shay Marks, Venny Ariel. You suck, Stephen. I, I knew you'd give me that name, too. Uh, Venny <laughs> Ariel Carassi, Dawn Eason, Elisha Choice, and Miles Ariola. Wow, Ariola. Uh, so I'll start with uh, Jennifer Eccles. Uh, Jennifer Eccles uh, was born on July 25th, 1954 in Houston, Texas. She is known for her work on The Notebook, Lady Killers, My Name is Khan, and, oh, oh, wow, another July death, July 16th, 2018, only a few years ago. She just missed the pandemic. Good for her. Um, I mean, that's not good, but, like, yeah. Um doesn't seem to have many other acting credits so again we need to edit these bios on imbd and get their married with children credit front and center but uh that's yeah. her and she is the uh, uh she is the african-american uh bikini babe and now we have uh steven why don't you tell us about shay marks yeah, she was born on June 1st, 1972 in New Orleans, Louisiana as Christy Shea Marks. And she is known for Day of the Warrior, Black Scorpion. I've actually seen that. Lethal Ladies. Lethal and what? she has done think you know, like I mentioned, Black Scorpion. It was a TV series, really. Oh, okay. And she starred in a movie called Love Stinks, and that movie really did stink. Uh, she was also in Day of the Warrior... She had a little bit of a series called Playboy's Really Naked Truth. I'm sure that's very <laughs> educational. <laughs> Actually, Mary Chung was her second uh, credit. She, and she, oh, and of course, she was in Baywatch and Silk Stockings, two other sexy type of uh, movies, I guess you could say, oh, well. or TV series. Okay. Um, all right, so let's move on down. All right, Shay Marks, welcome to the show. And now I've got Vinny Ariocolasi. Ariocolasi. I think I'm saying that right. Um, and her name, and she is as sexy as her name sounds. Uh, she is the, uh, 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 listeners, if you want to know who these pe- these women are, this is the one that uh, Rooney kisses very creepily later in the episode. Um she is born on uh, July 28, 1967, as Vene Lynn Ariacrasi. She is Ara She is an actress known for Minority Report, wow, Enemy of the State, and Dumb and Dumber. Uh, she also appears in, she actually appeared just recently in 2020 in the movie Bleach as Susan Hess. So she is still working. Uh, she always got 17 acting credits. She looks like she took a long uh, break from 2005 after Fat Actress, a TV show. And then she did uh, about seven episodes of Death Valley in two, tw- 2011. And she continued working kind of steadily ever since. Good for her. Yeah. And then there was Dawn Eason. Don Eason, she played uh, Darlene. 
She was my favorite. That's why I chose her. <laughs> and uh, she was born in 1974 on October 17th in Los Angeles. She only has 11 credits, but some of them are, you know, other than Mary with Children, she was in Malibu Shores, one of those other sexy TV things back in the 90s. Uh, L.A. Heat, that was I think we mentioned that one before. Hey, here's Melrose Place. She was in three episodes of that. Uh, she was in one of the episodes of the Fantasy Island reboot back in the late 90s. And she was also in The Pursuit of Happiness with uh, a star uh, Will Smith. So that was her last big one. So maybe she found someone to uh, get married to. Oh. Who knows? Well, good for her. Yeah. Well, we're going down the line, and uh, <laughs> she's a huge actress compared to Elisha Choice, um, who only has, sorry girl, seven acting credits, um, and an even shorter bio. And, oh, she doesn't even have a picture. Dang it. So whichever one doesn't have a image, that's who this girl is. Elisha Choice is an actress known for B.I.P. in 1998, Molly in 1999 and Run Runny Run in 2002 and uh, also in 2002 she also played who in Who's Your Daddy uh, as the character Angel and uh, nothing else besides you know what I'm going to read her old film because there's only seven uh, Mary with Children that was her first acting role as Justine uh, Between Brothers Celeste the Good News television show, and VIP, as I mentioned before, also Molly, Run, Runny, Run, and Who's Your Daddy? So <laughs> I gave you her entire filmography. <sighs> A lot of guest stars in this one. Of course, most of them were just simply eye candy for the audience. Well, they're not just eye candy to us, Stephen. We give all the, uh, all the babes and the not-so-babes their, their time to shine on this podcast. A day in the life of... A day in the life of a shoe salesman. Take one. And action. Cut! <laughs> See, Alderman Kaczynski, this is exactly where our tax money is going. To finance stupid films like this made by idiotic filmmakers like him and Steven Seagal. <laughs> Hi, sugar cakes. Remember me? Sugar Cakes is my given name. Well, aren't you going to stop this? No, he is not, Marcy. You see, the NEA gave me money for me to make a movie of my life. Now, if you want to see a movie of your life, I suggest you go rent Rooster Cogburn. Where did you learn to light a breast? That's it. I'm calling Washington. They start to shoot, but then it's interrupted when Marcy comes in. Marcy yells, cut, which is not her job. And she says, see, Alderman Kaczynski, this is exactly where our tax money is going to finance stupid films like this made by idiotic filmmakers like him and Steven Seagal. Yeah, bada boom. <laughs> yeah. Now, real quick, before we get to Steven Seagal, let's talk about Mark Balderman, who plays Alderman Kaczynski. Now, he has a lot of um, acting credits. He has... Well, pardon me. He has uh, more acting credits. He's 24, has 24, but uh, it's obvious he's a well-rounded. He's a good character actor. 
He was born June 25, 1952, and he died January 13th in 2010, age 57, which is only three years older than me, so now I'm getting worried. But just a, a few of his uh, acting credits include ER, a few episodes in that one. He was in Dynasty, Hill Street Blues, he was in Moonlighting, Falcon Crest, Designing Women, Growing Pains, Hunter, Columbo, the reboot, Cheers, L.A. Law, and he was also in, of course, Married with Children. That was actually one of his last roles. He, would, he had a recurring role in Murder, She Wrote, but his last one was in 1998. Maybe he had health problems or something. But Wow. Did not expect, uh, Mar- um, what was his name? Uh, Mark Kuzinski, Alderman Kuzinski. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I ex- I'm taking a guess there. I have no, no idea how to right. really say you, that. You said it right because mm-hmm. they actually said his name in the episodes. So it probably helped you remember that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he she mentions about making dumb movies like Steven Seagal. Well, yeah. I mean, Steven Seagal. He's this tiny little indie movie making actor he likes to play in you know very somber films about you know finding yourself and coming of age lots of women and flowers and stuff hell no he a badass act action superstar who i love he makes really silly action movies that are just put a joy on my face every time. Some of his best ones include Hard to Kill. That's probably my favorite coming out of my Hard birthday. Hard is best. Yes, absolutely. Um, he plays in the Roseanne and Roseanne as in the episode Rosambo. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, what the heck is going on here? I'm scrolling through uh, IMBD and I can't find Rambo anywhere. And it's making me mad. Um, you weren't in Rambo. I mean, not Rambo. That's Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, not not Rambo. I can't find. Where is it? Oh, there it is. Under Siege. Yeah, that's my. Uh, that's an. That was a good mm-hmm. one. Under Siege. Mark for Death. Very, very, very underrated. Mark for Death. There's a lot of fun in that one. Uh, Fire down below. About time. Exit wounds. Ticker. That has to do with a heart, Stephen. Um, Half Past Dead, The Foreigner, Out for Kill. Uh, we got Clementine. Clementine's a little pretty fun too. The Onion movie. I can't believe he was in that. Um, he's in Machete. His role is very small, but it's fun. Um, Sun Impact. Just a short version of it anyway. Force of Execution. Code of Honor. End of Gun. Uh, contract to kill I, I don't know if you saw that one that was in 2016 and then there's uh the china salesman and cartels and uh right the most recent film he's been in was beyond the law as augustino finn adiar and there are two movies in pre-production right now above the law too <laughs> and the tip of the spear so yeah it a very very specific type of movie star um but if you if it's if you watch hard to kill and you like it check out the rest of his stuff every he looks the same at every single poster he's in and he's just when he shows up i'm just like okay it's gonna have fun but uh yeah steven frederick seagal 
He was born in Lansing, Michigan, my hometown area, yeah, to Patricia Ann Fisher, a medical technician, and Samuel Siegel, a high school math teacher. And his parental grandparents were Russian Jewish immigrants, and his mother had English, German, and a dis- distant Irish and Dutch ancestry. Uh, the enig- enigmatic Seagull commenced his martial arts training at the age of seven under the tutelage of well-known karate instructor and author Fumio Demura, and in the 1960s commenced his Aikido training in Orange County under the instruction of Harry Ishiyasaki. Siegel received his first Dan accreditation in 1974 after he had moved to Japan to further his martial arts training. After spending many years there honing his skills, he achieved the ranking of 7th Dan in the Japanese martial art Aikido and was instructing wealthy clients in Los Angeles when he became to the attention of Hollywood power broker Michael Ovitz. And to make a long story short, Ovitz introduced him into uh, the world of film, and it's just kind of goes from there. So all his martial arts, all of his fighting is all real. He His martial arts style is very uh is is used in very fun ways in the movies he's always but he always likes to play a dad and a or and a husband and seems to really always want to like portray himself as a family man something that a lot of the other action stars they would do but they wouldn't really care about it if you know what i mean well i hate to burst your bubble but he's a major league asshole oh 100 percent 100 100 percent i don't like the man sexually i just uh, love harass yeah i don't like the man at all i wasn't even going to bring any of that stuff up i just talking about his uh his his uh acting career i'm a big fan of his movies i just (laughs) him and uh, john claude van damme those two together would be a perfect movie night for me my favorite movie with uh, Steven Seagal was Executive Decision because he was killed about 40 minutes into <laughs> <it>. <laughs> You know what? He shines for 40 minutes, though. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, he is just a real major league jerk and harasser of women. And he, uh, Kelly LeBrock, he married her. For, he actually was married to her for a while, and she left because of his abusiveness. So, you know, I just don't have any respect for him. Anyway, but getting off of Steven Seagal, let's go to more funny things, and that is when Al suggests a movie of Marcy's life, Rent Rooster Cogburn. Now, this is the second time Marcy's been referred to as a rooster. Okay, the last was Foghorn Leghorn. And I was wondering, I talked to you about this uh, last week a little bit, that I thought this might be a reference to Amanda Beers' homosexual, homosexuality. She had come out at the time. And a little bit about Rooster Cogburn, just to let you know. A 1975 American adventure western film. It was directed by Stuart Miller and starring John Wayne. His penultimate film. And actually, Rooster Cogburn first appeared in True Grit. The original True Grit. And uh, it's like that's what I said. It's one of my favorite uh, things he's ever played. And I do love the remake. That is one of the few times the remake was on par with the original. I thought it was magnificent. Anyway, Reuben Rooster Cogburn, he was in True Grit, and the character recurred in Rooster Cogburn and The Lady. 
I remember seeing that one. I started with that one first, and then I learned about True Grit. I had to go back and watch it. He was, uh, anyway, he was just trying to stop a ring of bank robbers that had hijacked a wagon shipment of nitroglycerin, which was pretty new at the time. So anyway. Okay, did not, I didn't know anything about it. I literally just thought it was a reference, like Rooster Cogburn. I looked up his face, and I'm like, I wonder, was he the, uh... Was, was he the inspiration for Foghorn Leghorn, or was that somebody else? Hmm. No, no, no. So No, not at all. Okay. I just noticed the rooster Cockburn and Foghorn Leghorn, both male roosters, and Marcy's been referred to as a rooster. <laughs> of course, she's going to get referred to as a Rhode Island Red here shortly. Oh, yeah. And uh, as for True Grit, I've only ever seen the remake. I thought it was really good, so I now with your uh, recommendation, Stephen, I think I'm going to have to try the 69 film out, though. Yeah, it's not as true to the book as the remake was, but it's still a stellar, you know, it's just a really good movie. Yeah, I think it's John Wayne's best. So they both star uh, a, a frontier girl who finds this man who has true grit, so they say. Pretty, yeah, to a certain extent, okay. yes. Okay, uh-huh. cool, interesting. All right. <laughs> All right, places, everyone. Places, please. Places. A day in the life of a shoe salesman, take two. And action. I'd like to buy some shoes and then make love to you. Oh, fine. But first, I must make love to these three here. Hold the phone. What is it now? Daddy, we're selling out. Now, as co-bigwig on this production, I cannot allow this abuse of power to go on any longer. I'm all set, Mr. Bundy. Take your place. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that? He's playing the mall terrorist. (laughs) And action. (laughs) Okay. Now, a little thing with Miles Areola. Yeah terrible name but uh he was actually the guy who came in you know he was uh came in with the gun he was supposed to be the mall terrorist or something like that <laughs> peggy, uh, i mean not peggy kelly had in, had objected to him being in there until she saw him walking away she got a little bit more excited all of a sudden he only has three acting credits he was uh born in 1971 on may 19th and his First one was, yes, this episode of Married with Children. He was also in an episode of Wings, which we recently discussed this last season. And he was also in Baywatch Nights. And his last credit, Baywatch Nights, he was unnamed. So maybe he didn't like acting or he got and he got to something else. Who knows? But the last section, we go back home and Al walks in. He says, hey, family, Jefferson. Rhode Island Red, another chicken reference. <laughs> oh, boy. In local news, an 84-car pileup was caused by a blind man or his German shepherd, one of whom was apparently driving an ambulance. <laughs> Again, no charges were filed as both had valid driver's licenses. Hey, family. Jefferson. Rhode Island Red. Anyway, that's an American breed of uh, domestic chicken. 
It is the state bird of Rhode Island. <laughs> Guess what else would it be? Oh, yeah. And it was developed there and in Massachusetts in the late 19th century by crossbreeding birds of original origin, like the Malay and the brown leghorn birds from Italy. It was a dual process breed. Anyway, they had uh, great egg laying abilities, which is kind of strange that he refers to her as uh, Rhode Island Red when she has no children. Oh, oh shit, you're right. <laughs> Do we know yet how much the NEA loved my movie? Not yet, Al. Funny, I sent it in over a month ago. I wonder what could have happened. Yeah, they wouldn't treat Francis Ford Coppertop like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're probably passing around Washington and Clarence Thomas got a hold of it and won't give it up. <laughs> they burned it, you cretin. They put on their golf shoes and chucked up and down on it. <laughs> oh, Al, you know how slowly the government works. Remember last year? I didn't get Marcy's tax refund check until June. <laughs> I thought you said I owed. <laughs> Does it always have to be about you? Look, Daddy, don't worry. Speaking as a student of the Larry Storch School of Acting, I can guarantee you that the NEA is going to love it. Today, in the first unanimous decision by Congress in 105 years, the NEA has been dismantled due to their sponsorship of the film A Day in the Life of a Shoe Salesman. <laughs> Did you hear the news, Dad? Yep. <laughs> then why are you smiling? Why, Peg? Because it doesn't matter anymore, see? I made shoe news! Well, Kelly, um, well, basically, it this opens, this whole scene is to, well, long story short, um, everyone's waiting to find out uh, what happened with the short film. Um, they've been waiting and waiting. There's uh, fun jokes about, you know, how long it takes, you know, the government to do stuff. And Kelly goes, well, they wouldn't treat Francis Ford Coppertop like that. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. boy. You, why don't you tell us about Francis Ford Coppertop, and uh, I'll wrap it up on this other reference. Sure thing, man. Well, I'll go really fast, because Francis Ford Coppola deserves an entire podcast to himself. Uh, he's an American filmmaker, uh, born in 1939. Uh, he's a director, producer, screenwriter, film composer, and vitineer. Uh, he was a central figure in new Hollywood filmmaking movements of the 1960s and 70s. Uh, he He's widely considered to be one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, also one of the big gatekeepers of all time, who kind of like controlled the way Hollywood was going to go, but that's another story. After directing The Rain People in 1969, Coppola co-wrote Patton from 1970, earning the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay along with Edmund H. North. Uh, Cop Coppola, I almost said copper top again. Dang it. Uh, Coppola's <laughs> reputation as a filmmaker was cemented with the release of, again, you know, just a tiny little film called The Godfather in 1972. And the film revolutionized movie making in the gangster genre and was adored by the public and critics. Uh, and Godfather won three Academy Awards Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, shared with Mario Puzo, the writer of the actual novel, The Godfather. And literally, the, that making of The Godfather wrote Coppola and the rest of his family 
blank checks that they would continue using for the next 40 or 50 years to pretty much make whatever they wanted. Didn't he also direct uh, a cop of Apocalypse Now? Mm, I uh, I believe he was a producer on it. <clears throat> Bless you. Um, I believe he was a producer on it, and I think his daughter was uh, involved in that as well. There's definitely some Coppola hands going through there. But I believe we have another reference to a different person in history, Clarence Thomas. <laughs> oh, God. And I remember when this happened uh, because... Clarence Thomas, he was nominated to the Supreme Court by uh, George Bush. And he went through these uh, hearings with Anita Hill. Anita Hill accused him of sexual abuse. And he claimed it was false. It's a high-tech lynching. He was uh, confirmed despite her allegations against him. But it went back to... I don't want to go into all the details. I don't remember all of them. I just remember the big controversy about it. And this is like 91, so that's compared to, um, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, who recently went through a confirmation hearing a few years ago, and he had all these allegations against him. We don't know if they're true or not. It's just hard to tell. But the thing is, Anita Hill brought, brought this up. Are there any other incidences that occurred in his office with just in his office, period? Uh, there is, I recall, at least one instance in his office at the EEOC where he discussed uh, some pornographic material, or he brought up the, the substance uh, or the content of pornographic material. Again, it's difficult, but for the record, what substance did he bring up in this instance in his, at EEOC in his office? What was the content of what he said? Well, this was a reference to an individual who uh, had a very large penis. And he used the name that he had been referred to in the pornographic material. Um, do you recall what it was? Yes, I do. Uh, the name that was referred to was Long Dong Silver. And an interesting tidbit. Sorry, Tyler, I got to do this. She's from Oklahoma. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I taught in a school district called Midway for four years. And it's a shared district between two towns, Hitchita and Council Hill. Council Hill is where she's from. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, the joke about the Anita Hill hearings where she alleged that Clarence Thomas was into... Pornography, another reference to pornos. Again, a day in the life of a shoe salesman is Al Bundy's pitch to be in a porno. I, it's gonna happen. Uh, it, well, it won't, but he wanted it to, and the government paid for it. And just to end this whole thing off, apparently, uh, and I love the way Mary with Children likes to end their stuff with news reports that the government disbanded the NEA. Uh, in this in Mary with Children's world, um, the uh, Gingrich got his uh, wish, and the NEA got disbanded for funding a day in the life of a shoe salesman. Like you literally destroyed the foundation, and it was a unanimous a vote. Unanimous <laughs> vote. <laughs> you know that's what it takes. Shoe news. Oh my and God. Al's still happy because he got into shoe news. And the headline is, 
idiot makes you feel with Al's gleeful <laughs> smile as credits roll. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Okay, Stephen, how many hours of editing are you going to give this episode of Mary with Children? Well, when I go take it through Audacity, uh, probably about... Well, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to give it a four, four hours of editing. I really like it. I thought it was solid. I just had... The only issue I had was how they kind of pulled Bud in there. I don't think it worked that well. I think they could have incorporated more into the story in a different way. Also, I kind of felt like the No Man guys, I didn't feel the need for them to be there. I think they were just, you know, this is the first time I guess you could say they were shoehorned in. But overall, I really enjoyed this episode. It's a strong one in Season 9. Of course, I think Season 9 makes a good comeback. And anyway, that's my opinion. I could be wrong. (laughs) Well, uh, Stephen, no opinions are ever wrong. Just misguided because I am... No, no, no. I I kid. You brought some really good points, and it almost uh, swayed my vote. It did sway my vote a little bit. Originally, I was going to say I was going to give this a full five hours of editing out of five hours. But when you with some of the things you said, got me thinking. I'm going to go with four and a half hours of editing because you're right. The bud was bud thing was not expanded on. If you're gonna do a B story, you gotta like incorporate at least if it's gonna be short, you gotta at least incorporate the two. Uh, have something happen. Uh, somebody crashes in and destroys uh, the set because they had a driver's license. Anything. Um, and I also thought I didn't think there was anything wrong with the no ma'am guys. I like them. They're a staple. They're a staple of the show, and their show wants us to remember that. Um, I don't like how overstuffed the episode is. It's overstuffed with everything I like, but you know what I'm talking about when you get too much of one thing, it's it's you start to feel kind of just filled with it. This almost yeah, I understand. yeah like when they were bringing the bringing up the Clarence Thomas thing two um, 30 seconds before the credits like you guys had a lot of good jokes this might have actually worked as a two-parter in a, in a way you know just stretch it out a little bit more so I, I was starting to feel a little full but that's my complaint is that you're giving me too much of what I love so that's that's a that's a pretty good complaint to have I guess so yeah really good episode really liked it anyway i hope y'all will join us back again next week for radio free tremaine as we invite jerry back to talk about the departure of steve and i'll be joining him along with luigi in this pilot for a proposed new tv series set on tremaine's university's radio station 
DJs Oliver Cole and Mark Campbell host several hours of an unconventional and overlooked program. After a probing interview divulging the past of Tremaine's new dean of students, Stephen Rhodes, both Oliver and Mark are kicked off the air and expelled from the college. Marcy arrives and upon hearing the news, she tries to get revenge against her ex-husband by leading a feeble on-air protest against her expulsion. Unfortunately, the protest doesn't attract that much attention. So, until then, remember... Mm-hmm.